Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. In today's gospel, we have depicted the moment when a man's life was utterly transformed. And not only that, we are given a vision of what a true disciple looks like. And to get there and see how that is so, I want you to start by thinking, remembering back that children's book, Brown Bear, Brown Bear, what do you see? Remember that one? Brown bear, brown bear, what do you see? So I want to put us in this scene. I want you to imagine yourself there, alongside Jesus, on the road, outside Jericho, this dusty road which was climbing 3,000 feet up to Jerusalem. You're there with Jesus and with the, the spattering of disciples and with the increasingly growing crowd. And of course, you're there with, with old blind Bart himself. I want you to put yourself in the scene. Imagine that picture. And we're going to look at each of the scene from each of these perspectives and ask ourselves, what do I see? What do you see in this scene? Let's start with the disciples. You're one of the disciples. What do you see? Well, you see a lot of confusion to start with. I mean, the disciples at this point in the story are utterly dumbfounded with Jesus. They can't see what it is that he's up to. Just when they think they've got a bead on his ministry, suddenly he does something that totally and utterly confounds them. Everywhere they look, you know, he might be healing one moment and teaching another moment, but what is it all leading to? Because now he's told them that the reason they're going up to Jerusalem is that he's going to suffer and die. And Peter, rightly, you think, calls him out and says, Lord, that's not how it goes for the Messiah. We know how the script works. And Jesus rebukes Peter. What's up with that? The disciples are utterly dumbfounded. They can't see heads or tails of where this is going. They can't even answer that most basic question at this point of what does a true disciple look like? What does a disciple look like? Because when all of these guys, when the religious elite, the Pharisees, the scribes, when they come to Jesus, you know, he bats them away like so many flies. And when there's some, some eager beavers that come to Jesus and say, we'll follow you wherever you go, Jesus doesn't roll out the red carpet for them, but instead he tells them to curb their enthusiasm, that they need to die to themselves and follow him. And then, we heard a couple of weeks ago, when you finally get that sterling recruit for the kingdom of God, a rich young ruler who's going to help to subsidize and underwrite their whole messianic mission, Jesus turns him away with those hard words. What does it even mean to be a true disciple? So those disciples who are following alongside Jesus, hesitatingly perhaps, faithfully as best they can, what do they see? They're not quite sure. What about the crowd? You're a member of the crowd there. These hangers-on. What do you see in this scene? Well, when you look and you see this one guy over here who keeps shouting, pestering, annoying Jesus, well, you know, at least there's a picture of a guy who surely is not a true disciple. You can see that. I mean, because you all know that if somebody is blind, as we learn elsewhere in the scriptures, that means that they have been smitten by God, right? They are accursed by God Almighty. Otherwise, why would they not be able to see? I'm not sure which one of them sinned, whether it was him or his parents, but surely there is something corrupt and wrong with this man that would disqualify him for candidacy in the kingdom of God. They can see that. And furthermore, he's a beggar. 
And beggars are at the absolute bottom rung of the social ladder. Because you remember, in that culture, you had not a, a, a society-wide safety net. You had families. This man doesn't even have a family. He's got nothing. He's got nobody. He is blind. He is broke. He is bankrupt. And he is not fit to be a disciple of Jesus. They can all see that. And so while he keeps badgering the Lord, calling out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. They all know what they need to do. Somebody quiet that guy down. Hey, keep it down. Silence him. One after another as they're walking along the way. Cut that out. Come on, maybe you know, he's horning in on others who might need help and those who, who would be genuine candidates for discipleship. Tell this blind beggar where he can stuff it. What's that? The, the Messiah is calling him. Hey, good news for you, buddy. Get on up. He's calling you. Just like I was saying, this guy is one who's really fit for the kingdom. Jesus wants to talk to him, just like we were all thinking, right? <clears throat> so now that brings us to old blind Bart. What does he see? Well, of course, in a sense, he's not seeing a lot. But from his perspective, maybe he's seeing more than anybody else. Now, Bartimaeus, he might not be good at much. But he is a master in the art of begging. Did you know there was an art of begging? There was an art of begging in that time and place. See, because there's a lot of competition out there. You're fighting with all of these other crowds in order to, to try and you know, grease your palms a little bit, get some of the beneficence from some benefactor who might be passing by. And so there was an art to begging to make sure that your voice was heard so that you were the one who was going to be the beneficiary of that Lord's generosity, that master or whoever it might be who's passing by. And so there was a saying among beggars at that time. When they would see, when they would hear people passing by, they would cry out, Kyrie eleison, which we translate as, Lord, have mercy. You might otherwise translate it as, boss, give me a boon over here. Hmm. It's a way to try and flatter those who are passing by, to butter them up a little bit so that maybe they'll flip you a little denarius or something like that. Bartimaeus knows how to do that. Lord knows he's had enough practice in perhaps the years of sitting on that roadside waiting for his moment. And more recently, he's heard tell, evidently, of this traveling rabbi, this one that they call Jesus of Nazareth. Bartimaeus has heard about this man who's going around and saying that it's the poor who are blessed. This one who supposedly, reputedly, is healing the lame and perhaps even the blind. Bartimaeus has heard about all of this and he thinks, well, maybe this guy is the son of David. Maybe he is the Messiah, the one that we've been looking for, the one who, like all of those prophecies and promises, said that he would be able to make the, the lame to jump and to run like the deer, that would make the blind to see and would make the poor rich once again. And so Bartimaeus, despite all the protests from the crowds, starts calling out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy. Kyrie eleison, like he's never cried it before. And when all the crowds try to stop him, he calls out all the more, Kyrie eleison, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me, have mercy on me. He won't be stopped. Maybe nobody is more surprised than Bartimaeus himself when they say, hey, hey, he's calling you. And Bartimaeus springs up like that calf out of the stall, throws away all that he has, unlike that rich young ruler, 
Granted, all he has is a cloak. And he runs and is led to the Lord Jesus. And Jesus, Jesus, what do you see? What do you see, Lord, when you look at this man who was despised and outcast? What do you see, Lord? Jesus sees a beloved child of God, sees one who is broken and beaten by the curse of sin. What does Jesus see? Jesus sees empty hands and a receptive heart that he can fill. What does Jesus see? Jesus sees a man who once was blind but now can see. Jesus sees a man who understands what amazing grace is all about. And so who leaps up to his feet and eagerly, willingly follows him in the way that leads to eternal life. What does Jesus see? In short, Jesus sees the picture of a true disciple. The most unlikely of candidates from the perspective of the world, but from the perspective of the kingdom of God, no one who could be more fitting. And when Jesus looks at you and me, what does he see? Well, I'm thinking this week about Martin Luther of blessed memory. Next Sunday, of course, we will be celebrating Reformation Day and the Marty Party will be there. You may know the story, Martin Luther on his deathbed. And we aren't always fortunate to have recorded famous people's last words, but Martin Luther is an exception. We have his last words. As people were gathered around him, his beloved family and some of his, his closest friends and followers, and they were there beside him. And as he was drawing near to death, they were asking him, Martin, do you have anything you want to say? Most urgently on their hearts, they were wondering there as he faced death, Martin, do you want to renounce the movement that you helped to start? Do you want to double back and you know, try to say, well, maybe I was wrong about all that Pope stuff? <laughs> maybe I should get last rites after all? He said, no, no, no. Well, what do you have to say, Martin? And his last recorded words were this. It's a mashup of German and Latin. He said, wir sind alle Bettler, hoc est ver, which translated means, we are all beggars. This is true. Understand that was not a despairing word, but it was a hope-filled, gospel-soaked word of faith for you and me to cling to as well, because you and I are beggars, all of us, and we gather week by week carrying this sack full of sins that weigh us down. Those words that you hurled in anger, your compassion constrained by complacency, the covetousness that we allow to have free reign, all of these sins that weigh us down, those things that burden our hearts and conscience, that bring us through these doors feeling haggard and tired and beaten, we come with all of that. 
And we cry out just like Bartimaeus did, Kyrie eleison, Lord have mercy. And we come to our Lamb of God. We come wearied, broken, beaten by the world and by our own sinful nature. We come with empty hands like beggars to this table seeking the bread of life. And your kind and generous Lord, your beneficent benefactor, he looks at you and me with those receptive hearts with nothing to offer and nothing to give and he fills it with himself, with all the good gifts of life and forgiveness and salvation. He says, thank you. Thank you, child, for giving me empty hands that I can work with rather than those full ones that have nothing to receive from me. We are beggars all. And when he looks at you and me as beggars, he turns paupers into princes. He makes beggars into kings and he takes us from the seat of scoffers and puts us at the throne of saints. That's who you are. That's who he has made you to be. He has clothed you with the beloved robe of righteousness and seated you beside Almighty God in the heavenly places. Now you have a seat higher than the angels. There, because you have been blessed with every spiritual gift in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. That's where you are. And so, friends, hear me when I say that when you come feeling so insufficient, inadequate and dissatisfied with yourself. And I know you feel it sometimes, because we all do. When you feel that way, you are in the best preparation to receive the adequacy and sufficiency and satisfaction of your Savior. Because he looks at you and me and says, we are beggars all. But before the eyes of our Lord Jesus, being a beggar is a blessed way to be. Amen. May the peace of God that surpasses all understanding keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. We stand to confess our faith.